This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. I say it's very special, maybe because of, maybe in spite of the fact I am joined by my good mate <laughs> and the straw man himself, the founder, the managing director of a... Um, a um... Online private investment club. There we go. There you go. Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. How's things? <laughs> right, very well, mate. Uh, it doesn't get old for me. It gets old for everybody else. But the good thing is... I'm the one with the microphone. If you don't like it, I apologise. Feel free to tell me. I may even listen, but I, I'm having fun. I hope I, um, I hope our sense of enjoyment and mirth is carrying through the airway. I think that's because you. you're a dad. I think that's that's the essence of the dad <laughs> joke. They've got to be daggy and you've got to do the same one again and again. <laughs> that's that's sometimes, the, the Lord. <laughs> so, sometimes becoming a dad uh, brings on the dad jokes. Sometimes it just makes the dad jokes a little less problematic. That's all I'm saying, mate. I'm not sure it was because I'm a dad, but being a dad at least lets me do it with some degree of cover. So well, let's uh, let, let's let's go with that. I appreciate the cover you've given me. I, of course, am Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's chief investment officer here in Australia, and we together are the Motley Fool Money Podcast. Uh, for those who don't know, Andrew was the original my original co-host way back in the day. The OG, our very first, the OG, exactly our very first episode. He uh, he's now working for himself. He's gone and started Strawman.com, a private. Um, um, thing, what is it? Investment club. That's it, that's it. Uh, but uh, he is he's back with me on the podcast, has been now for a little while, and I'm having an absolute ball doing it with you, mate, so thank you for doing it. Mate, um, let's let's get into the mailbag. We love this episode because it gives us a chance to, uh, well, part, mostly because we get to hear what our listeners want to talk about and get to respond to that, partly because it means we have to do less re- research, but there is that. Do we do uh, research for uh, the other podcast? <laughs> I said less, I didn't say a lot. Okay, okay. Just there's no... So, there's no so, uh, Mate, this is this is theatre of the mind. Don't don't give away all the secrets. Don't, don't peek um, behind the curtain. Let's, exactly. You might not like what you see. <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to know. Um, mate, question from Dave. Uh, Dave says, "Howdy, SP and Rampage. I'm very new to this investing game. Starting my journey through the COVID chaos in 2020. Nice start, mate. Well done. When I first started investing." says Dave, I made the decision to have the lion's share of my money in ETFs. I selected three, VAS, VTS, and VAE. Now, Dave, pull it in tight, mate. You may not know. Some of our listeners may not know. Some of our longer-term listeners will know, and Andrew certainly knows. (laughs) There are very, I was going to say there are very few things that annoy me. There are a lot of things that annoy me, Dave. One of those very few, many, many, many things uh, and I'm not having a go at you, mate, is uh, when people talk about companies and ETFs by their tickers. And here's the thing. Of course, it's the ticker. Of course, we know what you're talking about. Of course, we all do. When we start to think about our investments in the form of three-letter codes on the ASX, doesn't it just make it more likely that we think about them a little bit less as businesses, a little bit less as collections in this case of businesses, and a little bit more about tickers and fluctuating charts and all that kind of stuff? Andrew talked about charts on Friday. So very nicely, very kindly, Dave, I'm not having a go at you. Um, I would exhort all of our listeners to every time you start thinking about, well, this is W-O-W or I was going to say BHP is BHP, but that would be a problem, uh, or Rio Tinto is R-I-O or uh, Woodside is W-P-L, you are going down the rabbit hole of starting to think about short-termism and tickers and charts and all that sort of stuff when we should be thinking about oil and gas drillers or supermarket retailers. Uh, so I'm going to just ask you, David, ask our your fellow listeners, do yourselves a favour. Doesn't doesn't worry me either way. Uh, sometimes, by the way, when they get these questions, I just replace them with the names and keep talking. Uh, but in this case, I'm not going to. I'm just going to mention that point. Now, Dave says VAS. That's the Vanguard Australian ASX 300 ETF. VTS. I'm pretty sure, if I'm right, Ram is the US total, uh, total market, market 
Mm-hmm. Here we go. And VAE is Asia X Japan. So they're the three ETFs that Dave suggested. Let's move on. I made the decision to invest with these ETFs. Uh, oh, sorry, these ETF based. Yeah, start again. Right. These ETFs based on the indices they were tracking and the fees associated with each of them. I then followed the wider advice of dollar cost averaging into each at a weighting I felt comfortable with. The, off to a fantastic start, Dave. I aim to have my portfolio split with 80% of my investment in these three ETFs and the remaining 20% in businesses listed both on the ASX and in the US. Mate, I can't fault you thus far. Well, says Dave, it seems as though I have overlooked a potentially important factor here. I have recently learned that the Vanguard Total US Market and Vanguard Asia ex-Japan ETFs are not hedged. My question is this, does it even matter? Is there any benefit to investing in ETFs that are hedged versus ones that are not? With such a large percentage of my net wealth in these ETFs, VTS in particular, he says, I'm feeling nervous about how little I know about the benefits or lack thereof in currency hedging. I know you can't provide personal financial advice, you're absolutely right, uh, but would love to hear your thoughts about this. Go well, Dave. And then he says, P.S. I have so appreciated the recent chats you have both been having around the benefits and drawbacks of home ownership versus renting and investing. Yeah, that really resonated that episode. This is did. Mm. This is something my partner and I have been talking about recently. Sharing your experience of investing, owning a home, and property investments have really helped me widen my perspective on the issue. And remind me, there is more to consider in the world of personal finance than just the cold hard figures. A genuine thank you for reminding me of this in pretty much every podcast ep you release. Love your work, team. That's from Dave. Dave, thank you, mate. And uh, I will add my thanks to Andrew for being so honest and upfront about it. Um, it is, you know, uh, the maths is the easy bit in all investing, right? It is literally the easy it bit. Really to plug is. Spreadsheet, yeah. It really spits out. Knowing how to think about it, knowing how to what to do, knowing how to think about emotions and, and trade-offs and that kind of stuff, that's the art. Mm. Um, and frankly, that's what separates people because the maths is – everyone gets the same result from the same spreadsheet. Mm. So, mm. as you put – mate, thank you for the kind words, Dave. Really appreciate it. Um, we've talked about the three ETFs. He's not – obviously, the, the VAS, Vanguard ASX 300 ETF doesn't need to be hedged because it's already in Australian dollars. The other two aren't hedged, Ram. So, firstly – He's asking about the benefits or lack thereof and then whether or not it's important. So what? let's go first, mate. What are the benefits and what are the drawbacks of hedging? And then we'll go to whether or not it needs to be done or whether it's worth doing. Well, the benefits are the obvious one. It just means that it just takes a, a risk away. So the Aussie dollar, you know, what, you look back over time, it's, it's sometimes you, you've had to pay two Aussie dollars for every one US dollar. Sometime you've paid a dollar ten Aussie to get one US dollar. You know, so it's gone above parity. It moves around. Yep, yep, yep. And you can imagine in that scenario there, sort of like where the Aussie dollar gets stronger and stronger and stronger, your offshore investments become worth less and less and less and less. So, you know, that's that's a nice risk to get rid of. Um, the downside is that there's no such thing as a free lunch. And so the people providing that insurance, which is probably the best way to think of it, will charge you for that privilege. That's the short answer. And is that okay? So what? So the cons are the charges, and the pros are the lack of volatility. So is that? Is that yeah, probably. Yeah, it's, you know, one 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 gets rid of a risk, the the, the FX mm-hmm. fluctuation risk. The the other is well, it costs money to do it. Okay, which is like a lot of things in life. If you want a benefit, you have to pay a cost. Mm. Is the benefit worth the cost, or does the cost outweigh the benefit in your mind? Well, so this is. Let me say this is in my mind, and this is a real. I know I've been doing this long enough to know it's pretty contentious. So other people yeah. people will d- disagree, and they're entitled to be wrong. 
Um, <laughs> but for me, who's a long-term investor, the, 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 one of the characteristics about, again, there'll always be exceptions to all, but generally speaking, when you're talking about developed markets, economies, the dynamics of FX and exchange rates, are they, they, don't, they don't move in one direction forever. So the Aussie dollar has roughly been around 70 US cents on average. It's not like something that will go from 70 to 80 to 90 in a dollar. It's not, it's not like an equity market graph. You know, it just doesn't appreciate forever. Mm. It tends to mean revert. Yes, that's so important, right? It tends to mean revert. Now because they are they because they are it's an exchange rate by definition. It's it's the it's the transaction that turns one thing into another thing. Mm. And almost by definition, because it's a currency, it's it's you know, it's and remember currencies are just the the artificial things that we use to work out how much our time is worth and how much of our time we want to allocate to something. Yeah. So if I get paid fifty dollars an hour to do a thing, then when I get paid, my hour of labour gets converted into a what's worth fifty dollars these days? A very nice bottle of whiskey. Mm. Uh, is my is my time worth a whiskey? I don't know. To convert to US dollars, when the whiskey is in different prices at the same time, it's kind of just an extension of the same thing, right? So yeah. it, it's not going to go up forever like uh, something that produces an income. So for example, an asset like shares or property in the same way. It's a really good point. So much to say about – I'll come back to a couple other points. But, but the, the, the reason why it's like that is, I mean, if Australia has got a lot of things that the rest of the world wants – I mean, it's, the great thing about economics and finance is so much can be reduced to high school kind of level stuff. And it's supply and demand. That's how I think about currencies. Why would the Aussie dollar go up against a basket of other currencies? Because the world wants what we've got, basically, and vice versa. When currencies collapse, it's because they're failing economies that no one wants the currency for. Because what does it buy? It's not, there's nothing that's being produced. So, and and you know, US dollar has reserve currency status, which is a whole other fascinating conversation. But but generally speaking. Generally speaking, when I look in my crystal ball and I say, what's the Aussie, let's, let's just focus on the US to keep things easy. What's the exchange rate going to be in 10 years' mm. time? Well, no idea. Mm. But I probably wouldn't be too unreasonable to say maybe 20% either side of where it is now. Mm. Now, 20% in the right direction is an extra free kick yeah. on all of the gains I've got, right? <laughs> That's two years average return, right? Yeah. So it's, not, it's not nothing. So when I hedge, I'm, you know, it's, mm. not, it's not a guarantee that it's going to save me losses. It could equally save me profits. Save me from profits. <laughs> that's right. But the other that's thing right. is that's interesting. Could offset those profits, yeah. yeah, yeah. So if I'm investing in some really great, you know, I've got some Google, I've got some Amazon, mm-hmm. I think they're all wonderful US companies, Tesla, all these great mm-hmm. companies, right? And they do have the potential to grow for a very, very, very long time. They're going to be the, de- the, the dominant driver of your performance. And if you've got some really great US companies even if the dollar sort of moves against you over, and I'm talking again, long-term investing over a sort of a decade or more kind of period, it's probably not, it's probably going to be offset by the performance of your, of your shares. Yes, you can hedge that. And yes, you get rid of that risk, but A, you might actually be getting rid of a benefit. Again, you don't know which way it's going to go, but but generally speaking, because of this mean reverting nature, maybe it's pro- again these famous last words. But I would say it's reasonable. It's probably going to be somewhere around where it is now. Anyway, all you've done is just pay a bunch of insurance fees that have actually served you no purpose. It's it it, it, it it's different if you're a short term investor. Like I just for some reason I'm trying to. Mm. And I would never advocate for this because I think it's gambling. But you know I'm trying to mm. make some short term play. On a, on a foreign market and I just don't want currency to be a factor, that's different. But for a long-term investor, uh, it's just, mm. I, I just think it's, it's, it's just going to undermine your, your overall returns. 
on average. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, now, people do that for a lot of reasons, by the way. Um, we know that people um, uh, choose to diversify with an ETF for themselves rather than pick the stock they're going to win. And, and they're trading off diversification for the chance of outperforming and also the risk of underperforming. So yeah, diversification itself is a hedge, right? Uh, there are hedges all over the place. Um, it's a really clear um, example, I think, of why it's worth for some people paying the cost and other people not. Yeah. To your point, Ram. If you're someone who just knows that they know that they know they just want to take one more um, variable out of the equation, then hedging is exactly a perfectly good way to do it. Just know that you're paying for the privilege. Same as if you're diversifying, you're paying for the privilege of, you know, you're, you're missing out the potential upside to avoid the potential downside. And again, similarly in, in the other way around. So that, that's kind of, I think that's for me, that's why I want to think about how that kind of comes to, to the fore. Um, I wouldn't hedge for the reasons you've talked about, particularly if you're dollar cost averaging. Um, because you're going to get, again, dollar cost averaging is hedging, right? You're mm, saying, yeah. I don't know what the price is going to be. I'm going to buy at all different prices and know that I'm you know, hedging my buy price. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't pay for the privilege. If someone would get, offer me currency, you know, agnostic returns without paying for it, I'd take it. And you're not paying, by the way, paying, paying, but coming out of your return. So you are paying it, you just don't see the, the, the transactions. So I wouldn't worry about it. With one exception, mate, and that is if there is a time at and place at which you're going to take the money out and that time is reasonably unchangeable, uh, it's going to be the 14th of September 2029. On that day, you're going to sell everything and tra- bring money back to Australia. At that point, you don't want to have to wonder whether the dollar is going to be $1.20 or $0.60. Cents. So it, it's an ex- it, it, if you're investing internationally in general um, and you're unhedged, it, sorry, if you're investing, in, investing internationally in general, you should have a longer time horizon on the international portfolio compared to the Australian one because you're going to have to sell the shares at a time that makes sense, at a price that makes sense, and separately, potentially, bring the money back to Australia at a time and a price that makes sense. Mm. And so you want to have a longer time horizon. The same would apply to this, these ETFs for the same reasons. Um, so if timing was going to be an issue for you, you might want to consider it. I can't think of a good reason other than people who just don't have the stomach for volatility, which is completely reasonable. I'm not saying that as, a again, a criticism. That might be a time when you might want to think about it. Sound fair? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's each to the... I mean, you'll, you'll know in 10 years what you should have done. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I just... But here's <laughs> the here's right. the other thing is that if you've, yeah. if you've picked a bunch of dodgy shares, well, it's like you've got an yep. index here, so the US market's just done really badly. Again, yeah, being yeah. Yeah. currency hedged or not is really not going to swing the dial. There's all kinds of things. It's, it's, there is a multitude of factors that in this very complex universe of ours that go into influencing what a share price, everything from psychology mm, to mm, uh, mm. macroeconomics, microeconomics, this, that, the other, yep. phases of the moon, <laughs> who knows. Mm-hmm. But, but you've really got to focus on the big ones. And the big ones, mm, are, mm, is, mm. In, when it comes to our game, is going to be the level of, of, of cash flow. That, that's what it really all comes down. Get that part right. The the, the rest is just fiddling at the edges, for my mind. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably I think that's probably fair. Makes up great question, Dave. Thank you. G'day, fellas. Says Ben, loving the podcast. Thank you, mate. We are new slash late to investing in the last twelve months, and have just started to ponder what the best way to structure a portfolio now for the future is. If we are looking to supplement part time work pre retirement, and prior being able to access our super. I love this question. Yeah. I.e., are we best off concentrating on buying up recognised dividend stocks now? Or do we stick with ETFs and down the track just sell off to access the cash as required or transfer the money to dividend stocks later on? 
as a gauge, we are 35 and contributing approximately 1800 bucks a month to three ETFs. Nice work, by the way. That's, that's a great amount. General advice only, of course, says Ben. But any guidance is welcome to keep up the good work. That's from Ben. I'm going to jump in first here, mate. Mm. I've been thinking a lot more about this. I'm older than Ben, obviously. Um, but Ben, you're not too late, mate. You've, you've got 30 years till retirement and then probably another 30 years of life. You are year one into a 60-year journey. Uh, so you've got 60 years of compounding ahead of you. So, mate, well done. Uh, don't don't be discouraged by starting later than you otherwise might have. As always, we all wish we'd started investing younger. I don't know anyone who says, gee, I'm glad I didn't start any younger. Everyone's like, oh, I finally started that little bit younger. The best time to plant an oak tree was 50 years ago. The second best time is today or there you go. something like yep. that. Yeah, no, perfect. Great example. Uh, even Buffett says he wished he started investing earlier. Uh, so it's a, there's, a, there's a common theme. Mate, uh, so I'll start, Ram. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, because of the taxation implications of selling at some future point, uh, and as I get closer to retirement, hopefully still a little way away, but, you know, um, I start to think about, you know, if I have to sell at in X year's time and pay some capital gains tax on that versus not having to sell, effectively in perpetuity and letting the dividends themselves do the job, there's a real significant tax saving on that base. If you never have to sell, or at least, you know, my kids can worry about selling at some future point, um, but I can live off the dividends if I get to that point, then it makes a big difference. Rather than buying something, selling it, paying tax at whatever my marginal rate is at that point, then reinvesting in dividend stocks and then getting less in dividends by definition, because I paid tax, I'm reinvesting whatever proportion, um, somewhere between 75 and 85% of the money, by definition, my dividends would be 75 to 85% of what they would have otherwise been if they'd been higher. Now, the trade-off is you might make more capital gains in the meantime to more than cover the differential in the capital gains in the in the share price. So if I buy a dividend-paying stock and it, goes, it doubles, that's great. If I buy a, a non-dividend stock that goes up 4x, I can pay the I can pay the tax, reinvest in it with more dividends than what I started with. So it's a really, 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 really great question, but I love the question. It's super, super important one. And as you get closer to retirement, you're miles away, mate. But even as you say, or even you talk about doing it prior to retirement, which is great, thinking about how you might make that transition is really, really challenging. I don't have a solid idea, a solid answer, really, honestly, mate. But hopefully, Andrew will. Um, I'm stuck in the middle. Uh, I already, anyway, have some dividend stocks because I like some businesses like Solpats. We talked about a million times. Uh, they're going to pay a great yield forever, <laughs> is my guess. Um, so, you know, that's kind of one that I expect will be in my portfolio in 60 years' time. Also expect that oh, I'll be here in 60 years' time, you know what I mean? Uh, I also expect that, uh, that Berkshire um, will eventually pay, start paying a dividend. Berkshire Hathaway owns shares in that. Uh, one of my larger holdings, I think it's my single largest. And at some point, it'll pay a dividend because, you know, Buffett's successes won't have places for the money in all probability. Um, so I'm kind of looking at that as a, yes, I want the gains in the meantime, but I expect it's a dividend stock eventually. It's a really, really great question. Uh, mm. I'm stuck in the middle. I don't. I haven't made a big call either way on this one. Now is the time if I was going to start moving towards dividend stocks and not have to sell them to think about that. Um, it's a really good one. So I, I don't have a strong answer, Ram, so I've set up my thoughts. Mm. But I'm going to throw to you to actually definitively answer Ben's question with an <laughs> absolute, absolute decision which way they should go. Well, it's not black and white, so you're right there. <laughs> um, it, 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 part of it will depend too on the quantum of money we're talking about. So, and, and you're right mm -hmm. to put the tax implications in. So my instinct is 30 years to go until retirement, you want to yeah. be very strongly in growth. 100% equities, I would argue. Tipping, continuing broad-based ETF exposure, perfect, nothing wrong mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. Continuing to add more as you save, brilliant, can't fault that. And let's say, I mean, you, you can do break out the spreadsheet mm -hmm. and do a bit of maths here, but- you know, assuming you're throwing a reasonable amount of money at it, you, you, you'll have a, be a big mm -hmm. mountain of cash there. And in that scenario, 
I would probably go that way and then just sell down shares as I needed money to live on. So you don't have to worry too much about mm-hmm. the dividends in that scenario because yep. well, just just sell and you'll pay capital gains on your marginal rate of tax at that point in time. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not. It's not, and the rest can just compound away. So even though technically you're not getting any dividends there, you've got just got a mm-hmm. got a mountain of capital that's going to continue to compound as 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 you leave it untouched, and that right, which right, you right. do need, you can draw down. If it's a little less than, if it's not enough, where you mm. you can be very comfortable in never having to sell the whole lot and knowing that a big market drawdown at some point is not going to change everything for you, it is really great to have those income producing assets there. Um, mm. uh, but I, I I I have to lean on that side of that first one where I said, which just go growth, go stick at it. 30 years is a long, 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 long time. And you got a big tax problem at the end of that. That's the best problem in the world to have. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think what, yeah. what people do in order to very, very sensibly at a high level, they go, I want to reduce risk. I want something that's a bit more stayed and steady than the rest of it. That's very sensible. You're five, 10 years out for retirement and you don't have enough money that will last you for the rest of your days without having, having to worry about it. Mm. That's a very different scenario. Um, and, 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 in, and in that case, there's a lot to be said from the great tax one, the advantages of fully frank dividends and, and all the rest of it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, long time to go, long time to go. I, I'd say you're, you're, you're not too late at all. You're going to be a very wealthy retiree if you just continue doing that. I think, I think that's it, right? I think that's it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, there's, there's tax implications as well in terms of when you might make the sales. If you're going to make the sales after you've retired, then you're probably going to pay or, you know, in that kind of, what's that, after you've retired, when you stop working, maybe pre-retirement age. But if your income is lower and then you're paying lower taxes, then the capital gains tax is just as a percentage lower because yeah. your income's lower. Um, so it's really, really hard to think out that far and try and think about what you might be doing and how you might be selling and what the tax implications of doing so might be. It's a really, really tough one. And, and by the way, so you, you're only going to... With those kind of timeframes, you're obviously getting the capital gains tax discount. So let's say you need a hundred grand a year to live. I don't know, whatever. Make up a number. You know, you sell a hundred grand worth of shares. You're only going to pay tax on half of the gain, whatever that gain yeah. may be, and then it's only going to be at the marginal rate anyway. So as if you were earning it. So it's not, you know, it's just it's not the bigger consideration there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. Although I said, I, have, I actually have been thinking about myself. I, I absolutely understand where Ben's coming from. There is some element of what if I never had to sell? What if I just set my portfolio up so that either it generated enough dividends or that the companies that for current dividend stocks or by then some of these growth companies end up start paying dividends at that point yeah. in time. I'm in a different position. It's, um, it's, worth, it's worth having a think about how that might, how that might come Well, plus together. you can turn dividend stocks into growth stocks just by reinvestment yes. as well. Um, so there, 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 there is also- there is In a, the meantime, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good way to put it. Where to put it. Mate, a long one from, from uh, James, but a good one. Hi, uh, Scott and Andrew. Before I start, a sincere thank you to you both. I've been listening to the podcast for 18 months now and it has been, oh dear, has been my gateway drug into the world of financial podcasts. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if I'm sorry or not sorry. Has laid a huge part of the financial literacy groundwork which recently allowed me to deliberately shift my career into funds management. Awesome. Oh, well done. Love what you guys do and keep up the great work. Now onto my question. I think we just got butted up. We'll see what the question is. I'll save the personal info to make your lives easier and keep ASIC off your back. Thank you. But in short, my partner and I are about to pull the trigger on starting investing and have a long time horizon to work with. We are both busy young professionals and notwithstanding the financial content I consume, we have no interest in being individual stock pickers. On that basis... The logical thing to do seems to be simply pick one to three broad-based ETFs, set the habit now to contribute to them regularly and let compounding do its thing. Couldn't have said it better. 
Exactly. I have a persistent itch, however, which I can thank Andrew for. <laughs> Actually, it's a metaphorical one. Uh, I read The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb and I'm now somewhat obsessed with the loaded coin way of thinking about the future, <laughs> which has me thinking, with our long investing time frame, are we giving up a huge opportunity by not investing a small portion of our portfolio in low-risk, high-reward opportunities? For example, constructing a portfolio that is 80 to 90% made up of a global ETF that is very likely to return the market average over time, and then the rest made up of small investments with high potential but low risk due to the small amounts invested. If any small investments took off, we would then let them run separately to the rest of the portfolio. My thoughts are that, one, this obviously contradicts my desire not to dedicate a ton of time to research. Mm. And so perhaps the answer is I can't have my cake and eat it too. But perhaps, he says, this could work by offloading some of this time by investing in themed, more selective or highly speculative ETFs and or by following advice from a trusted newsletter service. He says, insert extreme opportunities plug here. I would never do that, David. I'm not going to talk to you about Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities because Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities is not something I talk about ever. <laughs> so don't ask me to talk about Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. Uh, another way I could satisfy my fear of leaving money on the table, he says, is perhaps a hybrid approach of investing in broad-based ETF that is skewed more towards growth opportunities. Mm. For example, an ETF like Vanguard's High Growth Diversified ETF which he says is popular with the cool kids these days. It is um, just quietly Perla, the uh, online broker. That's apparently their number one held stock by mm. their clients mm. is this uh, ETF, interesting enough. So it is, it is popular with the cool kids. Not expecting you to comment on this particular ETF. We might anyway. But in essence, the point is that it is essentially an ETF of ETFs or a fund of funds with a portfolio allocation skewed towards growth, but also including some more stable investments for downside protection. Uh, I appreciate it's, it's probably more close to a traditional managed fund, it comes with a higher management fee. 0.27% for the high growth ETF compared to 0.1% for Vanguard's basic Australian shares one. Essentially, would this approach just be outsmarting myself by trying to grab some extra dollars at higher risk that would likely balance out over the time horizon while paying higher fees? I love it, James. You've really thought this through. Alternatively, do I just stop overthinking it and buy the standard broad-based ETFs? Taleb comes from a quantitative trading background. Unless I decide I want to put in the work, there is no need to do any more than the basics and the market return should be more than satisfactory over time. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks in advance and full on, James. Mm. Now, because he's talked about your loaded coin theory, Andrew, because he's read the book on your recommendation, it is entirely your fault. So you are now responsible for undoing the knot you've created for James. <laughs> what say you, sir? What say you? Yeah, some really interesting sort of thoughts that come out of Taleb's books, actually, I think really valuable. But um, yeah, I do think I think James is right in the being able to have your cake and eat it too. Everyone wants the returns of more direct. Well, oh, I want to say higher risk, but I guess that what I mean here is more volatile, sort of smaller cap kind of investing. That's that's where I've fallen in love. That's where I invest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but it's it, it's not. It's not something that you can do to sort of set and forget. You know, it's you got to you got to really mm. spend a lot of time analyzing businesses and understanding yeah. them. And you know, it's, it's I, I was going to say it's hard work. It's it's work, but it, it's work that I enjoy. So it's kind of like fun. <laughs> but you got to have that right because the, yeah. the statistics will tell you that at that. So whenever we look back. Let's, let's say what's the best performing stock on the market in the last 10 years. And we could mm. do that now. We could do it last year and 10 years. It's always going to be a, some small cap company. Mm. Um, mm. 
because that's where the growth is. And they just yeah. have, when they hit, they just go from $0.05 cents to $10. I mean, it's insane returns that you get. Mm. But they're the exception to the rule. And statistically, if you throw a dart at the small end of the market, more often than not, you're going to get something that's never going to do anything and could well go to zero. So it's, so it's, it's hard to do the set and forget at that, that end. Um, and if you take that broad-based ETF kind of approach, the ETF says, well, we're just going to focus on that end of the market. Yes, you capture those almost by definition because the net is cast so wide. You do catch those big ones, but then the average gets dragged back so much by all the others. It ends up being probably around what their market average is sort of anyway. So first of all, James, just by doing what you're already doing, well done, you know, job, job done. Uh, if, if you want to get in a little bit, you roll your sleeves up and get a little bit more involved. I, I'd recommend it. I think the rewards can be really phenomenal. I don't want to make out that it's this huge burden of work. It's just I'm just saying you've <laughs> got to do some work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you, but that's that's the question you've got to answer. If you don't have the time or mm, the inclination, mm, then mm. the answer is no. And if you do, then then yes. Um, I don't think you the, the ETFs in this space. I don't think they're the free. And I know you're not saying this, James, but I don't think they're the mm. free hit that a lot of people make them out to be. Just by virtue of the fact that there's such a wide net that they cast. And yes, there'll be some great performers in there, but most of them will not be. Mm. Well, I, yeah. What do you think? I am going to take a slight exception with you. Not the free hit they they look to be because they're going to give you the market return, which is going to be excellent over the very long period of time, despite that diversification. Personally, so I I would absolutely say it's about as close to a free hit as you can get, given you get what's probabilistically going to be a very very low double digit, very very high single digit return for a very long period of time. Yeah, but you get just to nothing. clarify, you, you're going to get that on the broad base. Yes, ETF. So, so you don't need to go to the high and, and to James's point. Oh, with the I misunderstood. Fee. I misunderstood. I'm sorry. So, so I'm yes. not. I'm, I'm abs- I mean, I'm not, if you, so if you go for that in that particular higher growth yes. ETF, I'm sure you'll be fine. I don't want to say that you yes. won't be fine, but I mm-hmm. wonder, accounting for the extra fees, accounting for the way that these things sort of work mm-hmm. under the hood, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't imagine it's going to be anything like materially better. You know, maybe a little bit better, but not materially better than what you would just get with a normal broad based ETF. In which case, yeah. Just go with yep. a normal broad-based ETF. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I yeah. So I, I one of my pet hates. I got lots of my mentioned on Friday. Um, ETF was originally code for low-cost broad-based passive indexing. That's what it was. The first ETFs were exchange-traded funds. They happened to be broad-based, so diversified, low-cost, so Vanguardy kind of stuff, index-based, uh, you know, um, index tracking. ETFs. They, they were the Vanguard Australian, you know, ASX 300 tracking for, for almost nothing, as you said. And then ETFs got of they, they created more ETFs because, well, hey, why not? And then ETF now longer means is not longer a byword for that low cost passive stuff. It's now any fund on the market for whatever fee, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't just like um, the Vanguard high growth ETF, but I agree with Andrew. I wouldn't do it because um, if you're going to make, a, here's the thing: once you move away from passive ETFs, you're you're making those investment calls. And I, it actually might be more dangerous than not, almost to your point, Andrew, about it not being a free kick. And I, I didn't misunderstand what you meant. Um, because you're stuck in between. It, it, it's a free kick, but it's, it, sorry, you're, you're making a, a bet. You're, you're saying, I think this will happen, but doing no research at all, which is almost the worst of all worlds, right? If you do the research, say, I really love uh, Page Incorporated that's working on semiconductors and lithium batteries and oil and all sorts of cool, whatever cool, the cool kids do. There's NFTs, it'd be an NFT company, let's be honest, Page Incorporated. <laughs> uh, and so I want to buy that. You say, well, I'm not going to do the research, but I'm going to buy an NFT ETF because I love the theme. 
It's like it's almost it's almost worse, right? Because you, you're you're investing in the same thing without even doing the work on the company. And again, I'm not saying you're doing that, James, at all. Like I'm not not, not suggesting you're doing that. My concern is the ETFs themselves. People would kind of go, cybersecurity, that's gonna be big. I'll buy an ETF. It's like which companies are in there? I don't know. Well, are they expensive? I don't know. Are they growing? Oh, they must be, right? Because cybersecurity is gonna be growing. I guess, I mean, maybe, I don't know. And so because an ETF, people feel like it's okay to kind of, you know, almost say, the ETFs are good, so I can buy one without doing the work and that's all right. Mm. Again, I'm not saying you're saying that, James, at all. I'm just making the point to our broader listenership that uh, I, you got to be really careful with what, what is an ETF these days. Um, it is literally, you know, definitionally exactly what one is, but you can't just pretend. Can um, I, I, so for that, go on. Yeah, please. Sorry, I didn't know you. Keep, finish your point and I'll make another one. Um. So, uh, what was I going to say then? Sorry, mate. I've, I no, 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 it's good. So, so here's the thing, um, James. You are someone who is. You need to know yourself, as Andrew said already. This, this, um, this podcast. I, I find the idea of play money really challenging. I have to say personally, right? If I said I'm going to put ninety percent of my money in an ETF, and I'm going to spend the other ten percent at the tab. What? That's not investing. And people say, no, I'm going I'm to have play money. I'm going to have funny money. I'm going I'm to go and pump that out of the market and see what I can do with it. Now, if you're going to, I don't know, let's, let's go, you're going to save, I'm going to pick a number, half a million dollars over your lifetime. 10% of that, you're going to, put, you're going to take 50000 a new car, and go and punt it on some high-tech speckies and hope you might be right. For me, I really struggle with the kind of, the way we kind of, you know, you talked before, Andrew, about the fact that, you know, if you're, if you're buying a new car and someone offers you $2,000 for the ultra spray, fish oil, anti-rust, whatever, whatever, you're like, well, it's only two grand, that's fine. Because mm. you're buying six, if someone says to you, these jeans are $150, the normal ones are 100 bucks, I'm not paying 50 bucks more for a pair of jeans, are you stupid? <laughs> so it's, it's absolutely, we kind of think that it's a small percentage, therefore it's okay. Um, so James, I can't tell you what you should do. If you're someone who needs to have some funny money to play with because it just it's going to suit your personality, it's going to keep you on the straight and narrow with everything else, if that's the cost of it, then great. For me, I would say do 100% of whatever you want to do. If it's stock picking like Andrew says, if it's ETFs like you're already doing, just do that. Do, do the thing you do. Investing should be interesting and enjoyable. The process of analyzing companies should be fun. The actual buying and selling, if you're getting a dopamine hit out of it, you're not doing it right. You're really not, in my view. Mm. So I would I would say, if you need to, go for it. If you don't need to, uh, put the extra money. If you can if you can compound the, the rest of that other 10% at the same rate as the 90% you're starting with at really good rates for decades, uh, you're not going to need to do anything else unless you just need it for the, for the psychological you know, dopamine hit or just the feeling that you're doing something more than just whatever is yours. And again, I'm not saying don't do stocks. Do stocks if you want to. Do 100% stocks if you want to. But... Resist, resist the temptation is to, to shave off some of that and say, I'll make that my gambling pot. Because you wouldn't, if you wouldn't spend 50 grand on the dogs or the trots or the pokies or the, or the roulette table, I, I wouldn't do it with shares either. I'll offer a third choice here. Um, so it's as much work as you want it to be, right? So what I sort of indicated before, if so you're going to do it, it's actually a bit of work. And, and if, if, if it is maybe 10 or 20% of your portfolio and you are looking at 20 or 30 stocks, that's, that's a fair bit of work to, to get across. But there's yeah. nothing wrong with sort of saying, hey, I'm just going to have all of my money in ETFs. And then if something comes across my desk that I just love, this is just a fascinating company. Um, and I've just spent a little time reading about that and I really like it. Well, I can just buy that one stock. Maybe that's 1% of, of my overall. That's not risky at all. And, and in fact, it's not as that much work because you've only sort of had to look at one particular business that you've, you've, you've got a direct interest in. 
And then you've only really got what, you know, a quarterly report or something to catch up on or the odd market announcement. It's not, it's not much work. Now, on one hand, you look at it and go, what? Are you advocating for a one-stock portfolio? That's ridiculous. Well, no, it's not actually. You're incredibly diversified because 99% is in these ETFs, which are by nature diversified. And you've got 1% over here. You know, you're thoroughly diversified, over-diversified, you could almost argue, even though even though the breakdown looks like the, like the one a very small part of, of that bigger bucket is one small undiversified bucket. I, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Maybe that stock that never comes along that grabs your attention, and then, which was fine, mm. just keep doing mm. it. Or maybe you do that and then a couple of years later something else comes across your desk and you think, oh, actually I really mm. like that mm. too. I've read a bit about it. I like it. So, so you, can do it like, you can do it like that. And then it's actually, it's actually not much work at all, really. Mm. You know, keep, mm. keeping, keeping abreast of two, three companies is pretty straightforward. Mm. And then it, you, you might yeah. find that, oh, I don't like it, it hasn't worked out, change, whatever. It's like, okay, overall it makes bugger all difference um, and just sell it and put mm. it back into the ETF until something else comes along again. So you don't, don't have to set this arbitrary 10%. You might sort of say, look, mentally I'm not prepared to risk more than that. So that's sort of my upper limit, but I'm not going to drive it to that upper maximum for the sake of it. I'll just I'll take it as it comes and dip into this and that as, as and when is as necessary and if does, nothing comes along, then I won't do it. I think I think that's 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 a little bit of a way to have your yep. cake and eat it too. I I agree with that. I <sighs> my concern, I suppose, mate, with your view, and I, I agree with the concept of don't over, you know, you can you can get to ninety five percent on a company really quickly. You can then rest the rest of your life getting the other five percent. Mm. But I do also think that I don't I just don't want to I don't want to leave people personally with the view that of oh, as long as I read the annual report I can buy I can buy the stock. How, how can it be? Just 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 you know, read a couple of pages, buy the shares, and then read a couple of pages in a month's time. That's fine, that's all you need to do. Um I think I, I don't know that it's that simple. No, I didn't I didn't mean to say you've, No, I know yeah. I know you didn't. That's why I'm that's why I'm adding, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that idea of I, I think as long as you've got enough as long as you've got enough time and interest and dedication to learn the craft, keeping up is not hard, as you say. Mm. So if James can go from zero to whatever the number is reasonably easily, I I I read much many fewer pages than I would say ninety five percent of most investors, fund managers, uh, investment advisors, right? For exactly the reason you just talked about, page sixteen of the remuneration report on the annual report for ABC Incorporated is just not that interesting to me, and it doesn't it's not going to matter often enough to make it worthwhile. I can spend my time looking at other things, I can cover more ground that way. I can I can work on the important stuff and really understand the proper things that actually move the dial for a business. So I completely agree with that. But I also think you and I have spent a lot of time getting to the point where we can actually just do that simply. And so I, I, the, my, my, my reason I'm, I raise it, mate, is that someone who's not investing yet or who, who's like, oh, Andrew Scott, you just have to, you know, read a couple of pages every quarter and you just invest in anything and that's fine. How hard is it? So I'm going to go and buy shares in X. And you weren't saying that and I wasn't saying that. I just wanted to kind of draw that point out a little more specifically just to make the point that keeping up is easy, very easy most of the time, as long as you've got enough time to A, learn the craft and B, choose the companies in the first place. Is that, is that fair? Or you, yeah, or you yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It, it, it's, I, I didn't want to say that it, uh, my point wasn't that it was easy, but doing it for one or two is much easier than having to do it for a you know portfolio yes, of 20, that's 20 or 30. So in fact, in fact it's 20 times yeah, easier yeah. To, to do yeah. that. So it doesn't. My, that's my point. Is it, yeah, you're right. Don't don't just buy something speculative for the sake of buying something spec. Buy it because I like the business. I feel as though I've got my head around it. That's that's fine. If it goes up, 
10x over the course of 10 years because you've done real, you've picked a really great, mm. exciting, interesting, mm. real business that's performed very well over long. You're going to have all the joy and pleasure that comes with that. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. be enough of a return to sort of be meaningful. If it goes to zero, mm. you're fine because 99% is over here just chugging along doing yeah. its thing. So you, yeah, that's, that's you know what I mean? Right. So you kind of get, you, if, if the itch that James is looking to scratch here is like, yes, look, my yeah. first thing here is just to, just to look after myself and, and my long-term financial future. Job done. Yeah. You're already there. Yeah. Yep. But if I just have that little, oh, I'd like a little bit closer to the to the coalface here just because it's cool and it's yeah. interesting and I want to learn more. And Well, you can do that. But you, you, you can yeah. start off very, very, very small. And if you like it, leg into it more over the over the years. And if not, pull back. Yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea. Plus, by the way, if, if you like it, you're right. The, uh, the the site will grow by itself anyway. So there is that yes. there is that sense. What I love about investing, particularly in growing businesses, I won't say growth because I don't like growth and value as, as as kind of labels, but growing businesses is that they, you know, the, the upside on a stock is in theory infinite. It's never actually infinite. We kind of do people a disservice by being flippant about that, mm-hmm. but it can go up two, three, four, five, 10, 20 times in, in value potentially. The most you lose is 100% which is not an excuse for saying buy anything, take a punt, who cares? Mm. But it is that sense of if you get it roughly right more often than not, you let the time do its thing uh, and you let it grow over time. Um, I think it's one of those, again, if they're growing businesses, um, buying a few that do really well and continue to do well and compound for a long time. That's Mm. why I kind of, you and I both look for quality, right? So that that idea, I, I certainly do anyway as a priority. Um, because I kind of figure, you know, I've, I've owned Domino shares twice. I'm, we've talked about it before. I own them now again, by the way, and they're now half off their peak. And so why do I still hold them? Firstly, because the market price doesn't matter um, to the long-term returns at all. Well, like, it sucks now, but, you know, if it's worth more in the future, then I'm right. If it's worth less, then I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm still wrong. I'm already wrong. Uh, but the, the medium to long-term idea that quality will out, if Domino's has got here by being good at what it does, is it likely that's gone away anytime soon? Probably not. Mm. I mean, every business gets bigger. There is a there is a gravity that that applies to, to you know law of large numbers type stuff. Domino's can't have a store in every suburb or you know three in every suburb. At some point, there is there is a stopping point. But if you're buying quality and the business itself, there's nothing fundamentally changed about the company. There's a very good chance you know you, I never want to extrapolate as an investor. But by the same token, a business that has that momentum, doing something well, better than the competitors, and those that momentum is actually making its own, um, uh, reinforcing the advantage the business already has, like scale, for example, with Domino's. It's just a really, really simple way to think about it. So again, combining what you said, mate, with with the emphasis, to my mind, on, on quality. Now, that's not exactly where James is. He's all about some, you know, high, higher risk ones. Um, actually, could I, one quick one, just as an aside, and I will finish. James, you, you mentioned that they're low risk because it's a small amount of money. And it's a low risk to your portfolio, yes, when you say high return, low risk, low risk opportunities, I'm just going to say that um, just be a little bit careful about the assumption about that. Low risk in terms of you can't blow up much of your portfolio. So I guess from that perspective, sure. Um, but I would just, I would just, um, just be careful um, with the way you think about what's low risk. Again, because Andrew's talked about opportunity costs a lot in the last few weeks. The opportunity cost of that, you know, I'm not going to blow up much money if I get it wrong. No. But to remind you of the Vanguard index chart that I talk about most weeks, um, 10 grand over 30 years is 160 grand by compounding in just the market, if you get the market return. That's the bogey, right? So if you put 10 grand into some speculative thing that's low risk in air quotes and it goes nowhere or goes to zero, okay, you've lost 10 grand, not the world's worst problem. The opportunity cost though is about 150 grand. So just be, be mindful of that as well. 
Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, we didn't talk about the Berkshire meeting on Friday. How did we miss that? We didn't. That's a really good... You know, you know partly why? I was. I haven't even written about it this week. Oh. And Because other, other than the Bitcoin thing, there was... <laughs> so here's... Oh, you've, you've told me no tangent. What I love about Buffett and what I find challenging about Buffett at this point with my, when I'm supposed to create content, kind of content all cool kids are content creators these days. Have you, have you noticed that? You yes. You're a content creator. Yes. So I'm a, I'm a content creator as are you, uh, as well as... as it's a new economy. Jobs. It is a new economy. It's all about NFTs and stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, oh, I should do. I should do a range of NFTs. Uh, this is not. I'm going to do. You know how they. What's what's that famous? This is not a something. What's that? There's a famous. This is not a something, and it is, and that's kind of the joke, right? No, I'm not sure. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, this is not a, this is not a something. What is it? Anyway, I'll look it up. Uh, in the meantime, I should do a. This is not an NFT. NFT. And kind of take the mic out of myself so I can sell a lot of it. If you want to buy an NFT from me with this is not an NFT, let me know uh, because I, I'll make a lot of money doing that. Uh, this is not a pipe. Was that the one? Let me check. Yes, this is not a pipe. Rene Magritte, the artist, uh, has a famous poster or picture, which is a pipe. And under it says, this, this is not a pipe. I'm not clever enough to know what that is. The cool kids who are like existentials get that more than I do. I'm going to do an NFT saying this is not an NFT. And I'm going to make a fortune. You're welcome. No one steal my idea. Um, where do we get to? <laughs> <that? laughs> I'm waiting Berkshire. for the point. <laughs> Way back to Berkshire. Oh, put the van in reverse and uh, I was the revision. Back it up. Back did it a up. bit of a Donald Trump on his thing. The challenge. <laughs> well, man, going? woman, TV, camera. <laughs> the, um, the challenge with Berkshire is he doesn't say anything new in a year. And I love that, yeah, right? Yeah. When you go to church on a Sunday, I haven't done that for a very long time. Uh, the pastor saying to you, it's like, hey, I found that 67th book of the Bible. It turns out, here's what it says. He repeats the stuff you already know, you've already heard a million times. And why? Because sometimes being regrounded in the basic approach to doing something, in this case, religion, though I'm not going to pretend an expertise in this area, um, is useful. And Buffett, the Berkshire AGM is, you know, Woodstock for capitalists. It's also, it's just the sermon according to Warren. And so you don't get that much different. Honestly, mate, I, I look through the detail. Um, CNBC did a terrible job live streaming it. Yahoo used to do it and did a great job. How hard can it be? For goodness sakes, you're a broadcast well, they tried company. To, they tried to cut it up and then probably like tuned in late and they tried, then they tried to cut it up into pieces. And I was like, I just want, show me the, give me the live stream of the whole thing and I'll watch it. Well, do no, that. And then if you I want to do not a find edited it. version, do that afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not yeah, hard, that guys. was great. Yeah. Anyway, CNBC, lift your game. Um, not much new. So the, the honest answer is I haven't written out about it this week. We didn't talk about it this week. I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Do you, do you have any uh, takes from, from the AGM? Yeah, someone was asking me about because, you know, a few mates sort of, so, ha ha, you know, Charlie and Warren were sort of putting the boot into Bitcoin. That was the one headline. Yeah. Yes. And, and so my response to that was that I really respect and love both of those guys. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're absolute um, mentor. Not obviously that I know them or that, you know, I, I consider them real <laughs> role yeah. models and mentors yeah, yeah, yeah. and think that they're yep. just both of them. Are, uh, I don't think, I don't use this word lightly, but sort of geniuses, you know, polymaths. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually sure they are. You know? are literally geniuses, I'm sure, but yes. So yeah. when Charlie Munger waves his hands around and goes, Bitcoin's stupid, it's going to zero. It's like, holy yeah. S, like, yeah, yeah. okay, I want to I know. Holy smoke, right? Yeah, holy smoke, thank you. Holy smoke. That's, that's the issue you're looking for, yes? Um, uh, okay. Oh, I mean, you've got my attention. Yeah. You know, you had, you had my right. curiosity. Now you've got my attention. You don't want to be the other side of a trade with Charlie very often. If Charlie, if Charlie's saying I'm on this side of the trade, you don't want to sit the other side of the table. You know, so it's just like, so, but what frustrates me with Charlie in this particular instance <laughs> is he waves his hand around and he goes, ha-ha, it's all stupid, and then everyone laughs and then we move on. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Why? 
and I would put this on the bulls as well. It is it, the onus is on you to tell me why this isn't a scam, why this is something yeah, that's yeah. legitimate and real, and all the things that people say it is. I'm interested. Hit me, lay it out for me, and yeah. I'll and I will give you my full attention and my full consideration. But I say that I, I expect the same for for the bears as well. So when you're going to go out and say this is stupid, it's like okay, I'm going to listen to you in good. I'm going to actively listen in good faith. And I really want to take on board what you're saying. But they stop. They stop at that point and ha, 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 and we move on. And, and, and frankly, for me, it's, it's, it, you've said nothing. By saying that, you've, you've shown me what yeah, you've yeah, thought. Yeah, you haven't yeah. shown me how you've thought yeah. it or why you've thought yeah, it. Yeah. And, and if anyone listening out there can find any references to where Charlie or Warren have sort of laid out as to the fundamental flaw in this, let me know because I, I, I really want to know. But until that happens, it's just sort of like the the hand waviness of, of two old men, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who happen to be geniuses, and I incredibly respect, <laughs> have incredible that's, respect. That's for. the hard, and that's the hard part, right? Mm. Um, I was asked about. So I mentioned the Sharesies event on Friday. I'm not saying I didn't get paid to do it, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not mentioning it because I got paid. I didn't get paid. If you're listening, Sharesies, no I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I was asked exactly about that after the meeting. Mm. So do you invest in Do you invest in Bitcoin? If not, why not? And you and I have had this conversation plenty of times, mate. And I think I'm not going to speak for Charlie or Warren, nor am I going to even try and convince you or make the point specifically, but I'm I'm 99.63428% sure uh, that all stats are made up. Mm. Uh, but also 98.6234% sure that, uh, that Charlie and Warren have taken the view that simply they want items that produce cash flow. Charlie said, uh, Warren said as much. Yeah. Basically, said, look, if you offered me 1% of the, of the farmland in America, mm. I can come up with a price that I'm prepared to pay because mm. mm. I can look at the cash flows and say yep. it's worth something. Yep. Um, I, I mean, and, and, and to be fair, well, not to but be that, fair. But that's a style mongers, question, right? So yeah, that, that, that was my how, point. Howard was my Marks point. Invest does, invest in distressed asset. He's another investor Correct. who's done Correct. incredibly well. There's others that, Correct. you know, like just do short. So it's kind of like if, you're, if you don't like it because it doesn't fit within your style box, cool. Yeah. But but you're not saying that. You're saying it's going to zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. So so if you want to say, hey, look, it's not for us because it doesn't produce cash flow. Yeah, cool. I get that. Not for you. But 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 what what, you, what about that thing you said about going to zero? That's that's kind of what. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> so I think that's right. I think, and that's and that's the. I don't have the same conviction they have. I'm not, I'm not defending them at all. I'm just trying to explain, given that you've mentioned the fact that they didn't kind of give an explanation. What I was going to say, Charlie, Charlie Munger said the same about gold in, in the past, yeah. right, for exactly the same reasons. And, I was, and that's the point I've made to you on the podcast mm. and I've made to, and again, I'm not, not defending, I'm not arguing, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even arguing with your view on Bitcoin, just that my, my style, to your point, a style question, my style question is, um, I think Bitcoin's like gold. It's no better than gold, it's no worse than gold, to my mind. Now, there are, there are, there are reasons why it has, there are, Reason why it's better than gold, reason why it's worse than gold, in it specifically. But as an investment asset, as an investment class, to my mind, it's the same as gold. Uh, maybe people will pay more for it, maybe they won't. Maybe but as soon as you say that, it's, you say it's not zero. Um, I say, I'm, that's why I'm not defending their point. I'm just saying from Charlie's perspective, mm. the, you asked about why they wouldn't invest it and the kind of the wave of the hand, like we laugh and move on. Mm. I don't know why it's going to zero. That that one I don't understand. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't claim to have a view on or, or to defend Charlie or, or explain Warren or Charlie's point. The, the why they don't invest in it thing. Uh, Charlie said, you know, <laughs> God love him, about gold bugs. He said, even if you're right, you're still a jerk. <laughs> I love it. I just, it's, it's, such, it's such a good it's line. such a great line. It is my favorite, one of my favorite Charlie lines. But the idea was basically- You could say the same no with Bitcoin. Let's be, let's be fair. Yeah, well, well there's, there's, no way, there's no way to value it objectively. <laughs> and so you just kind of go, 
okay, it's not, I, I've said before it's not investment grade and people think that's a pejorative and I don't intend it to be. Um, but for me, investment grade is there are fun, there's a fundamental underpinning cash flow that lets you value an asset mm. or, or potential future cash flow, right? even, even for growth stocks, um, making, losing money now. But you know, there's a, there's a, there's a reason to uh, believe there is a future cash flow I don't think that's true of gold. I don't think that's true of Bitcoin. I, that's that's my understanding of their objection to it. Whether they've got caught up in being, and this is, I think, the challenge for everybody, including Warren and Charlie, who aren't perfect, got caught up in having a view and therefore having to defend that view. And as you've said before, mm. mate, um, once you're confronted with a different view, the act of defending that view pushes you further away yes. from considering the, the alternatives. Yep. Um, I don't know whether, I think going to zero is silly because frankly, I don't know if it may do, by the way, but no, no one can oh, know totally exactly your point. Yeah. If you can't value it, mm. you can't value it at zero either. Mm. Yeah, it, you, you can say it's all speculative. That might probably is true. You can say that there's no way to value it. You can argue that and that might or may not be true. Um, you can say it might go to zero. I think that's also possible. When you Once you say it will be worth this in future, uh, also not worth selling for this in future, um, you could say the same about Picasso's art at one point, right? And now it's worth squillions. Um, you could say about Scott Phillips' art and it is worth zero. Could you, you know, independently value either of them? Probably not. So is artwork manageable? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I just think I think uh, there's a very different. I hear exactly what you're saying. We should probably answer yep. some questions because I didn't mean to make this the, mm-hmm. the Bitcoin podcast, but mm-hmm. there is a different character between zero. So we could argue, you know, maybe it's it. This, you know, how do you come up with an intrinsic value? You know, is this thing worth ten dollars per coin? Is it worth a million dollars? That that's that's a very difficult question and a whole other episode. But zero is different, of a fundamentally different character, and 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 that's that 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 is that is a far bigger question. So yeah, that's I true. hear you, your point. You're saying so. Mm-hmm. I would say this: How do you value a Picasso? No idea. Is it worth zero? Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. Will it ever be worth zero? Not unless there's an Armageddon. You know, there will mm-hmm. always be someone, even 200 years in the future, who will put value on that because it's such an historically important piece of of the human of human history, <laughs> frankly. Sounds a bit sort of airy-fairy, but it's true. So it, it, Picasso is not worth zero. Um, is it worth a million dollars a painting, $10 million? They're, they're, they're different questions. They're different questions. They are. I think that's, I think that's fair. So I'm not, not defending the zero. I think as you, to, have, to have a value of zero, you have to have put thought into what the valuation might be and then you should be able to back it up. I don't, I don't disagree with that yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not here to defend Charlie and Warren. I think they've, well, they've probably, just, <laughs> they've probably done enough to, uh, to justify their own, their own views uh, and they probably don't need me to defend them either way. But, uh, but I, I, yeah, I think your point is exactly right. I think you're, you're dead on. It makes perfect sense the way you describe it. I think Charlie, the way we should, we should think about it. One, one other thing about the meeting is Charlie doubled down on his uh, bull thesis for China, which I thought was interesting. Oh, okay. Tell me that. I didn't. I missed that one. Uh, he's on. still he's still very positive towards it, and I'm I'm going to go out there. I, I love the man. He's he's wrong on Bitcoin. He's wrong on China. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not so sure as you that he's wrong on China. You know. Yeah. I look. I, he's it depends. Well, depends. 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 Well, China's as a as a father that word. China's a big term. So yeah. is he right or wrong on China? It's probably not a question. Is, is Why is he wrong on China? So China. China is. Uh, here <laughs> to stay, <laughs> and economically, you know, it'll have its ups yep. and downs. Like every, it's going to be around, yes. but it's going to be much bigger in the future than it is today. <laughs> yep. I, I don't, yep. I don't argue that at all. And right. a lot of wealth is going to be created in, inside that country. With various mm. incredible businesses that that they have, particularly yeah. in the tech space. Absolutely, get that. And that's where Charlie's coming from. He's looking at yep. that, and he's also looking at the relative valuations compared to what he can get yeah. on Wall Street. And he's yeah. saying, "Wow, huge, wonderfully." Competitively advantaged companies, insanely attractive economics, 
beautiful market dynamics and closed market system, monopolistic kind of care. And it's trading at valuations that that would, you know, um, that that we would beg for here in the West. Yeah, that's true, actually. So, so that's yeah. what Charlie's thinking. He's like, yeah, yep, yeah. I can't argue with that. But I think- I was going to say, how do I argue that? Yeah, exactly. But my <laughs> point is, and he might be right on, well, I think he is right on all of that. But where I think he is potentially wrong is that he he massively underestimates the sovereign risk in the fact in the fact that the the political system over there could be such. And look what happened to Jack Ma, mm, mm. right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We don't like you anymore. See you later. Whoa, whoa, whoa you can't do that. Yeah, actually, it turns out you can. It's an authoritarian state and do whatever the hell they want and will do and have done. And so Charlie can make all the investments he wants in these great, wonderful companies until there's some kind of conflict between, you know, if potentially a hypothetical scenario here. And then they go, actually, we're nationalizing all of that. Sorry. Oh, but that's really unfair. Yep, we're doing it anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. That's right. Exactly. You know, I mentioned the book what, Red what Notice about yeah. the, I think I did on this podcast, a really wonderful yeah, book. Yeah. And it's yeah. about a guy, one of the most successful hedge funds in the world who invested mm. in Russia at the fall of communism, did incredibly yeah, well yeah. for years, yeah. then lost 95% of his money because Putin said, mm, you're no mm. longer politically expedient to me. Was it yeah, right? right? Was it wrong? Yeah. He had he had friends murdered. Just for, you know, mm. And, mm. And, and again, that's not to say this happens mm. with mm. the investments yeah, yeah, that Charlie yeah. and China, yeah, yeah, but it is, yeah. it is a non-zero risk and it, yeah, it, it, it is a risk that is big enough for me there is just sort of, look. Yeah. If there was nothing to invest in in the West, in Australia, US, Canada, wherever, England, Europe. Okay, now I'm, I'm kind of forced to sort of have to go there to get. But but there's heaps of really great opportunities. Why am I mm-hmm. trying to get like a, a, a yeah a quantifiably better opportunity? All else being equal, in China, when there's there's a there's there's a particular side of the dice that if it lands face up, I go to zero. Yeah, right. That's where I think he's wrong. Yeah. I just can, can, can I say, and this is not this is not directly at you at all, but it'll sound like it is. Um, I think we overweight that risk because it's foreign and different and other. I don't accuse anyone of being unreasonable in that view. Um, is it really more likely to go to zero than another company we might own for different reasons? I, I, I think the not for the same the, reason. So a company could go to zero on the ASX, I mean. but it's not because Scott Morrison's not going to turn around tomorrow and say, you know what, Woolies. We're nationalizing you. He's not going to do that, right? But my point is, does it matter why? Because like the why is, is one, it's one of the reasons it could go to zero. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Why does the, why is the China um, authoritarian versus the business blow up risk more or less in that context, rather than just simply saying these are similar types of, sorry, different sources of risk, but very different, uh, very, very similar implications and probabilities I find the, generally speaking, for a lot of people, easy to demonise China because it's China and therefore I'm not going to take the China risk, but I'll take the solvency risk. I'll take the debt risk. You know, mm. business with too much debt. People but my point is, is you've, got, whatever you've got all of those risks anyway. Because as yep. you say, I mean, that's just a risk of any corporate organised entity, any, any business yes. operation. So you're right. You're right. So that, it could happen here for all of those reasons. It can happen in China. It can happen on the moon for all of those kind mm. of reasons. <laughs> but, now you've got an, so on, but now you've got this separate sovereign risk on top of that. So it's not an mm. and or. It's, a, it's an and. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Look, each look, Charlie's just, just fine. For every He's business, one right? of the richest men in the world. He's fine. But well, I, there's different reasons for the end is my view. So some, some have debt, some don't. There, there is not the same number of risks for every business, and this was an extra one. for. There's not the same 10 risks for all of them, and this is an 11th risk no. for the Chinese business, yes. right? Some have debt risk because they've got debt. Some don't have debt. 
but they're in China. Okay, well, if they, maybe they don't, you know, maybe they don't cancel each other out, but to some degree, you know, one's got a uh, a key man risk, the other one hasn't, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. No, if, the, if they're all, I, I completely agree with you. If you're two businesses and they, had, they were exactly the same business, one was in China, one was in Australia, that's an easy decision, yeah. right? Because the sovereign risk is bigger in China than Australia. Um, I'm not, look at, look at flights in our Webjet, right? Australia closed the borders. Webjet's share count. You know, there was, mm. there was sovereign risk in the business Australia should make, but we don't do it because it's our sovereign risk. It's not a big deal. Mm. You know, did, did China halve the value of permanently of some of those tech companies arbitrarily? I would argue there's more damage done to Webjet by sovereign risk than almost any company in China as a permanent change to their ability to own a profit. Now, I'm not saying that risk is not zero. It's absolutely something and it's some percentage and, and time's a very big negative. So it's, it absolutely should be one of the top three risks of any, I don't own any business in China, by the way, at all. Um, so I'm not defending Charlie, Charlie Norman, I'm defending my own portfolio. I own the Asian Tigers ETF. It's a tiny position as we talked about maybe last week, the week before. Uh, but you know what I mean? I just, mm. I, I, I just, I understand the whole, let me just avoid that risk altogether just because X. We don't do that with almost anything else. Um, or where we do, it's it, you know what I mean. I, just, I, I find it just. I try to. I try to further about. I, whatever the risk okay. is, I try to avoid the ones that go to zero, unless and there okay. are. We've just touched on one asset <laughs> class, which is fits this, but unless the upside is substantially high enough to, to compensate right, you for right, that. Right. So I would say that with, if I look at my portfolio today. Guarantee you there's a whole bunch of them that are not going to work out well. But not <laughs> yeah. working out well is probably me losing 50% because the earnings have fallen right. away or it just hasn't been run very well. It's execution risk. I, I, I might be kidding myself, by the way, but I don't think there's anything in there where there's actually no real business and it just goes to yeah. zero because there's, no, there's yeah. no product, there's no sales, there's crippling leverage. or de- I'd, I'd like to think I've, <laughs> I've avoided that particular yeah. risk in my portfolio. Yeah, and and even though there's different reasons for going to zero with with what the dynamics are mm-hmm. in China, mm-hmm. they, I just I just don't want that zero risk, and I think Charlie yeah, underestimates yeah, for sure. that. <sighs> so, yeah. Look, if you're okay. gonna if you're gonna pick a side, if you're out there going mm, interesting, if you're gonna pick a side, pick Charlie Munger's side. <laughs> I'll say that. I'll put it <laughs> out there. But I'm not even arguing. I'm not even arguing Charlie's case in this one. I, I just I think and it's not even it's not even about this in particular. I think China we. My, my personal view is that in Australia, in particular, West in general, we see China as this bogeyman that is, you know, the things that America did in South America versus what China's doing in the South Pacific. Uh, you know, there, there's some parallels. Oh, there. huge we parallels. Give, we give the Yanks, we give the Yanks yeah. a pass, and we, we we tar the Chinese and feather them because it, you know, I, I think it it kind of builds into our subconscious. Um, I'll say prejudice, and I want to be really careful here. I'm not for a second suggesting it's anything to do with race or with anything else. So I want to be really, really, really- No, it's really, a system really, really of really govern- government. That. It's got nothing to do yeah, with and, the, and, the people. And, the, or, and those preconceptions yeah. that we have in the back of our minds about what that means, right? It would have been Russia, and justifiably maybe, but go back to the 70s and 80s, right? Every Bond film was set with the, the Russian X, Y, Z, right? And for a while, yes, it became that, funnily enough, but under the Gorbachev and the Yeltsin and the whatever governments, um, Russia wasn't that country. It ended up being that again. There are others where autocracies have taken over from elected governments, take the Philippines, for example, or, or others. So I don't think say, things can't change. I just think we sometimes start with, you know, uh, sovereign risk under Trump. I don't know. <laughs> do, do we oh, under, yeah, that was under, a huge under, sovereign risk. Do we oh, my that? goodness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's it. I said, it's not a big deal. I just, I think it's worth just trying to go back from first principles of have this view, is that view grounded in reality or is it grounded in some of the preconceptions that I have subconsciously hold that are worth breaking mm. back down? Because um, I, I, I will say, mate, for my own sake, I will say exactly the same thing about gold miners in Africa. 
Mm. And I have re- no real reason for that other than generally speaking, I guess I kind of lump all the African countries together who don't know them very well and there's been a couple of problems and so I go, Golden Africa, that's a terrible idea. Is it? Maybe, I don't know. But subconsciously I'm like, I'm not going there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, it's, and it's a really, and I'm calling myself out on this one, it's genuinely one of those, ooh, okay, am I, am I really analysing that or am I just doing the sweeping you know, it fits my it fits my preconception, so I'm happy to happy to leave it out. That's all. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, no, fair point. And I, and I guess I would say the the uh, being cognizant of that and being aware of it, yeah. and then going to the next level and exploring it further. That's you might you might actually come around to the view that actually in this particular African country with this particular company and this particular gold yep, mine, yep, yep. it actually makes sense. Yes. And so, so I'm not saying don't invest in China because China's scary. I'm saying because I feel as a now someone might be able to point out, well, actually, no, that's not as much of a risk as this and that and the other, which which case I'd like to think I would go, okay, fair enough, I was wrong on that. But as my read of the situation as it stands and given very recent examples and given historic and mm-hmm. historical examples and given parallel examples and different similar sort of mm-hmm. political systems, it just seems like, it, look, it might only be a 10% chance of happening, but it's a very much, a, again, it's this difference between Zero and one are very different numbers. And we can argue whether it's a 10%, 2%, that kind of absolutely. risk. But it, my point is it's a non-zero risk and it's and mm. it's it's one that I personally, given that uh, you know, I'm not Charlie Munger, so I don't have billions to invest. I've, I've got so many opportunities here in Australia. I don't even have to go. I don't even go to the US, as you know, yeah, because there's yeah. so much youth in small cap land in the ASX and more than soak mm. up my measly mm. amount of capital. But if, if that opportunity wasn't there, then I would be forced to look further afield. But I just I just think for most of us mm, fair, yeah, who are in that scenario, I just like why yeah. am I why am I investing over there <laughs> right. when I can invest here without those risks? That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Then we talk fair. about currency absolutely. as well. There's currency on top of yeah. that. Yeah. Currency, politics, just the opaqueness of being in a very familiar mm. unfamiliar jurisdiction, different cultures, mm. different laws. Oh, hard, very hard. Very, very hard, mate. It's a, it's a fascinating concept, and it's worth um, worth thinking through. I think actually, I'm going to take that last point that you made in terms of just the the alternatives, right? I think it's absolutely okay, by the way, on the same basis to cut it back and say, I don't know. So I'm going to. I don't. I don't know is is, a, the, is an answer, right? Yeah, yeah. But but also but also then change decisions as a result. Mm. Like literally, mm. kind of work backwards. Okay, well, you know that that's a risk. There are, if I can find it with fewer risks or more upside or both, ideally, then you should do that. And the opportunity cost question, we've, you know, it's one of the most important things. We've gone over time again. One of the most important things about investing is that opportunity cost idea. Just that idea of you can't spend the dollar in two places at once. Yeah, it's a huge idea. Right? We, we, we get it instinctively as consumers because we buy the jeans or we buy the phone or we buy the, put petrol in the car. Whatever. You make those choices, right? You know you can't spend the same dollar twice. When With investing, we kind of also get it. But we don't necessarily think forward because that opportunity cost is – it's not like, you know, we think we can't put the fuel in the car. We don't necessarily think, well, that can take us this many kilometres and therefore in this period of time I'll get to here. And you can't think forward that. With with investing, you must. A dollar invested here can't be invested over there. So it's incumbent on us to invest that dollar in the place that's best for us. Mm. And your point, mate, if if the China is like, I don't know and it's a big risk and I want to do it, cool, walk away. Mm. Mm. And that's, I think it's and that's that is and, and the same with Australia, the same with any company. Mm. Um, you and I do TV regularly, investment TV, business TV, and we're asked about companies. I, I don't know. I you know mm. plenty plenty of particularly speculative businesses where I say to somebody, look, if this works out, it could be great. If it doesn't work out, it could be terrible. I don't have a basis for making an assessment of the probability. I, I, I can't help you. I don't know. Mm. Now, my, generally speaking, so what I then say is either 
if I owned them, I would sell them because I'd get, invest something I know better. Not because I think no, it's going to go badly, just because my job is to put the money in the areas where I have the highest confidence of being right. That that's that's what we have to do. Yeah. Glad you brought up Buffett, the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. I uh, sorry, completely hijacked the mailbag. You did. Sorry. And unfortunately, I, I'm going to tell you now. Someone we got. We, I had a question I was going to ask, uh, and unfortunately, David. David, Andrew has been responsible for your question not being answered. So Sorry. It's Andrew's... <laughs> I'm kidding. David, you will be the first one off the rank come next Sunday. But we'll also be back next Friday. You'll join me, won't you? Maybe we should talk more about this Buffett stuff. <laughs> or Bitcoin. Or Charlie Munger or China. Yeah, yeah, Can we yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely, I, whatever, whatever we're going to talk about, you know I'm going to be. I'd love to talk about Charlie. I'll talk about Warren and Charlie to the cows. Yeah, it's great. Give me, give me half a chance, mate. Let me go. I will Legends. keep away Legends as you, as you well know. Time. They are, aren't they? Which is not... We're just saying something. Yeah, right? you think about it. The whole bugs. So Warren's looking old. You notice that? Yeah, he's still pretty sharp though. Oh, sh- super sharp mentally. Yeah. Just looking old. Oh, well, he is. But, um, I think you can say that yeah, objectively. Yeah, Ninety-one. Yeah. <laughs> that is fair. That is a statement of fact, not a statement of prejudice. Yeah. Until next week, be old gracefully and full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.